Romans chapter 8 is what I'm opening to now. I hope you'll do that as well. Turn open to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 18. The text that we're looking at today specifically is Romans 8, verses 28 and following. But what I'm going to do is just for uh, a little bit of background to review where we've been over the past couple of weeks, I'm going to read Romans chapter 8, uh, verses 18 through 30. And I'll be reading from the ESV this morning. So please read along silently as I read aloud, uh, beginning in verse 18 of Romans chapter 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience." Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Father in heaven, we come before you today with glad and grateful and joyful Hearts before the immortal, invisible, God only wise. Lord, we thank you first and foremost for Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for making a way where there was no way. Thank you for sending your Son, who is not one of, but the way, the truth, and the life, and the promise that you give that all who come to the Father, all who come to you, come through Him. Lord, He is the gate. He is the way, and thank you for calling your people to walk through that gate. Lord, thank you for opening our eyes. Thank you for giving us the gift of saving faith. And Lord, it's because of that gift of faith, because we are your children, that we can boldly come before you and ask for more, because we need your grace. Lord, we need your grace even this hour as we open up your word, Lord. These things are spiritual. So we ask for your Holy Spirit to move mightily among us as we open up your word and look at the truth that you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've spent the last two weeks looking at Romans chapter 8 and the threefold cord that we read about in these words that God has woven together for us uh, that gives us the strength to endure, to persevere, to more than just survive, but to thrive in the face of pain and suffering. In the passages we looked at over the last few weeks, which uh, was the text that we just read, we saw those threefold strands once again, strands of hoping, strands of waiting, strands of groaning that make a threefold cord that is not easily 
broken. And that threefold cord is unique to us as believers. It's unique to us as Christians. Everyone groans, right? I mean, everyone goes through life. You don't have to be a Christian to know groaning. Everyone who lives in this world knows that this is a, that this is a world that is full of troubles, that is full of trials, that is full of tribulation. And all you have to do is live life for a little bit and listen to a little REM to know that everybody cries and everybody hurts sometimes. That's not unique to Christians. But what's unique to Christians are the other two chords that come with this groaning. As believers, we groan, we suffer, we hurt. We know what it's like to groan, both because we're believers, sometimes we groan because of the faith that we have in Christ, and sometimes we just groan because life is hard. Sometimes we just groan because circumstances are difficult, and we face the same circumstances that lost people face. We face tough economies, we face tough times and jobs, we face trials and tribulations within our families. Sometimes they're related to our faith in Christ, and sometimes they're just because life is hard. Just like the rain falls on the just and the unjust, just like we both benefit from God's, uh, God's grace uh, in that way as it's uh, dispensed to us in this world, We also suffer uh, in many of the same ways as well. As believers, we groan, we suffer, we hurt. We know what it's like to groan. But that's not all we know. We groan, but we also wait and we also hope. Look back at verse 23 in Romans chapter 8. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly. As we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes in what he sees? See, we groan, but we don't groan as the world does. Verse 23 says we groan as we eagerly await for that adoption, right? Just like a worldly adoption, an adoption that we know in this life, which takes time. And we eagerly wait and we eagerly long. People who are in the adoption process sometimes eagerly wait. Oh no, not sometimes, um, all the time. They're eagerly waiting for that thing to pull through and for the paperwork to get pushed through and for approval to happen and for this to work out and for things to finally come together. Friends, we eagerly wait for our heavenly adoption to pull through. We eagerly await for our Heavenly Father to take us home from the orphanage of this world back to where we belong with Him. We eagerly wait for the redemption of our fallen, finite bodies. We groan. Oh, do we groan. But we also wait with hope because we're not all about what we see. You see that in verse 24. Uh, Hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not see... We wait for it with patience. We wait for it with patience. Our text today is just a few verses down and therefore carries with it the same idea that we've been looking at over the past two weeks. Look at verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, this is a rather popular text I'm just curious, uh, as a show of hands, whether you're uh, at Florence or at Newport, as a show of hands, how many of you say, to some degree, you're familiar with this text, you've memorized it, you know this text? Sure, it's a, it's a fairly popular text. It's not one that's uh, deeply hidden that many people aren't familiar with. Many people are familiar with this text. Um, lots of people do. It's a good text to commit to memory because it's rich with truth that we can draw from during some of the toughest times we face in life. Now, look at the text in your Bibles, and let's just take a minute to walk 
through it together. Now, different translations have this sentence uh, worded a bit differently. Sometimes the phrases are in a different order. I'm reading from the ESV this morning, which reads, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to this purpose. But you know what? As you survey uh, the vast majority of solid uh, English translations of the Word of God, they all start out with the same two key words. We know. Or and we know. That phrase. We know. In the Greek, it would literally be, we can know. We can know. In other words, we, have, we can have certainty. It's guaranteed. Uh, we can be assured. Now, here's the thing. All of Scripture is, is like that. <laughs> We don't need a preface. It's like, so, wait a minute. You've, Paul, you've written uh, up till now like seven and a half other chapters. Can we not know that stuff? Like, should we only start trusting you from here on out? No. We, can, we know that all Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for, for, for doctrine, for, peru- for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. But if the Apostle Paul is going out of his way to say, now we know. We can know. There's special emphasis that he's drawing to our, to our attention under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to say, hey, guess what? Pay attention. Watch this. Look, we can know. What I'm about to say, certain truth. I want you to understand, this is certain. We can know. We see certainty, but then we see, look at the text, verse 28. We see a, a, a qualifier on the truth that's presented. This is not a universal truth that applies to all people. Just like that threefold cord is not for every human being, what Paul's about to say is not for every human being. Look at the text. There's a a prerequisite, if you will, a limiter on this promise. And it's worded in two different ways. The promise is for those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. So, and we know, we know, verse 28, That for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, those that love God and those that are called according to his purpose are not two different groups of people. Those are the called. Those are the saved. Those are the redeemed. Those are the Christians. Those are believers. If you are a believer today, if you love the Lord Jesus Christ, that is you. But Paul goes out of his way to word it in two different ways. Those who are, we're talking about those who love God, the called. To make sure that his readers know this is unique. This is unique. This is special sauce. This is something that God has dished up for us as believers. That we can have certainty with. We can, have, we, we can look at with certainty and face life with hope. We can know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, all things work together for good. The text says that for those who love God... These things work together for good by God's decree. And we can know, not wonder, not wish, but know with certainty that God is at work in our lives for our good and for his glory, regardless of the circumstances we may be facing. Now, even if it's a bad thing, the text says all things, right? All things work together for good. So no matter how bad it is, good is coming for those that love God. In other words, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. No matter how bad the circumstance is right now, we're told from the word of God that all things work together for good for those that love God. Even if it's a bad thing, the best is yet to come. So 
This is kind of where the rubber meets the road, at least on two fronts. Do, do you love God? Do you, do you love God? I mean, lots of people like him. He's a likable God. Uh, lots of people I found uh, would like to love God. They want to want God. They see the benefits that come with those who love God. So they, 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 they would love to love God. Um, but do you love God? You say, quit belaboring the point for crying out loud. It's a Sunday morning. I'm in church. Do I love God? I'm sitting in church. Do I love? Do you love God, Pastor? I, I do. I I just I stood in my garage for a while yesterday, and that doesn't make me a car. So, so I'm, I'm glad that you're in church. I just want to know, do you love God? It's an important question to ask because everything that we're talking about today hinges on the answer to that question. I mean, it's an important question to answer uh, in any area of life because it's, our eternal destiny is at stake, whether or not we love the Lord Jesus Christ or not. First Corinthians ends with, if, you, if anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Sometimes people like to talk about their starts um, with, in the Christian life, which is a good thing, how you came to know the Lord Oftentimes, when people um, are asked, do you, are you a Christian, do you love the Lord now? You say, okay, well, what's that look like? And they'll go right back to the start, right? So, for example, today's my 12th anniversary. Um, what if, if you came up to me and you said, do you, do you love your wife? Do you love Sarah? And I'm like, well, yeah, I married her. But wouldn't you hope I'd have a little more than something to reference other than the thing I did 12 years ago? Oh, duh, yeah. I mean, we got pictures and everything and got all dressed up. Do you love Sarah? Yeah, I married her. Of course. Wouldn't you hope there was some way that that was displayed beyond that start? Wouldn't it be concerning to you if all I had to look at was that start? If that's all I could reference. How do you know Peter loves Sarah? I mean, well, he married her. Anything else? I mean, they're still married. Ish. (laughs) Have you ever seen someone like that? Who's married-ish, right? They, They got married. There may have been love, right? may or may not have been, I don't know, how do you measure that stuff, but there may have been love in the beginning, but now years have gone by, and they really, all they have to point back to is their wedding day. Do you love God? Once saved, always saved. It it is, that's a true statement. If you're saved, you'll always be saved. You'll never become unsaved. But sometimes you, you dig down a little deeper as to what people are putting their hope and trust in when they say that. And it's not necessarily in the uh, sovereign, gracious work of God in their life. It's in something that they did. They say once saved, always saved, but they mean once prayed, always saved. So I once, once prayed, so yeah, yeah, I mean, I prayed years ago. Yeah, of course I'm saved. Or, or they're looking at a, a, perhaps something they, maybe it was a baby baptism. Maybe we could say once sprayed, always saved, you know. Or, or, or maybe it's a baptism they had later on in their life that, that where they say, yeah, as a, I remember as a teen or whatever, as a young person, I was, I was baptized even by immersion, you know, once bathed, always saved. I mean, we, we, can, we, can look, we can look at a bunch of different things. People put their hope and trust in. I'm asking today, do you love God? Hopefully, you'd be able to see my love for my wife, my imperfect love for my wife in my desire to serve her, prefer her sacrifice her. Hopefully you'd see that uh, from her to me, and you would. 
It's the same thing with, with, I mean, God likens the relationship that Christ has with the church to our marriages, right? And uh, vice versa, actually. Do, do you love the Lord? Do you seek to prefer him? Does he have an impact on the decisions that you make? Say, well, because I love the Lord, I will do this or won't do that. Or, wait a minute, I know I could do this, but I love the Lord. Let me, let me consider it through the Lord's eyes. Do you love the Lord? Do you prefer him? Do you sacrifice for him? Not to gain his favor, but because you have his favor. Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? All things work together for good to those that love God. Here's another question. This is really where the rubber meets the road. Uh, Again, all things work together for good, right? All things. Well, let me ask you a question. What's, what's good? What's good mean? Right? How many of you have been in a situation before in life where it's between you and another person uh, and it worked out for good, but the good was differently than what you would define as good? The other person was perfectly happy with how it worked out uh, and it worked out in their favor and how they define good, but you would say that was, actually very, uh, that was actually less than good. How many of you have been in a situation like that where your definition of good was very different than the other person's definition of good? It's good for us to find out what, what, does, what might good mean. What might good mean? See, because it gets pretty real for the parent who loves Jesus, pours their blood, sweat, and tears into raising children for years to love him too, but watches their son or daughter go the way of the world. And they see this text and they say, I love God. This is going to work out together for good. What, what does that mean? The person who goes off to work every day knowing that today could be his or last day at work and recites this scripture to themselves. They want to put some flesh on it, right? They want to know what does good look like? The the cancer patient wants to know. The battered wife wants to know. The lonely single parent, the struggling teen, the underfunded missionary, you fill in the blank. When the Bible says, for those who love God, All things work together for good. It begs the question, what exactly is good? What does that look like in real time? What can I take to the bank? You might be thinking that right now. Maybe I mentioned you in one of those broad categories. Or maybe there's something else that I have no idea is going on in your life. And you're thinking, I love the Lord. Help me understand what this good is. It's going to work together for good. What does that mean? The best is yet to come. See, sometimes we see and experience things that work together for good, and we see it in this life, right? Uh, Oftentimes that may happen. Perhaps, I mean, first of all, you could just look back on your own life. Surely if you've lived life for any length of time walking with the Lord, you can look back and say, wow, this trial, this thing that happened back here, God used it for good. I wouldn't wish that trial on, on maybe even my worst enemy. But man, I can see how God has used that for good in my life. I can see how God has worked that together for good for me. And I love God. Uh, Joseph saw that, right? Genesis 50 and verse 20. He talks about the trials and the tribulation that he was put through because of what his brothers have done to him. And he says, you know what? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. 
Joseph saw the trial. Joseph saw the good. He saw how God worked that together for good for him who loved the Lord. Moses saw that. We read in Deuteronomy chapter 8, beginning in verse 15. It's in your outline. Uh, He's talking to the people of God. He's talking to the Israelites. And he's he's referencing, he's calling them back to remember the Lord. Verse 15, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there's no water. Who brought you water out of a flinty rock. Who fed you in the wilderness. He said, have you forgotten all these things? Let's go to the tape. God's been good. Verse 16, right there in Deuteronomy 8. Who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you. Why? To do you good in the end. Certainly there are examples where we can see in Scripture where God has uh, led people through a trial, through a trying time, and done good to them in the end, that they could see the before and after. Uh, Later on in in, in chapter 8, Paul promises uh, something that we can put our hope in. Certainly if God would give us his own son, look at verse 32, uh, how will he not, he asks this rhetorical question, right? How will he not graciously give us all things? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And it's like certainly God who slayed his own son for a sinner like me, can knock some sense into mind, right? I mean, like, like this is some, this is small change, whatever, I'm, whatever I'm, I'm asking for. Certainly God who gave up his own son could provide for this financial need, could provide for this medical need. Surely he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him graciously give us all things? Many times in this life, we, there's scriptural precedent that God brings about the good, the good that is spoken about in verse 28 in this life. And you should take great hope in that. You should take great hope in that, that God has been faithful to his people, right? This, it would not be unlike God to pull through and to be faithful and to glorify himself in whatever trial you're thinking about right now. It would not be unlike God. He wouldn't be breaking the mold. He's known for this. He can be on it, and he would get all the glory for it. And we have scriptural precedent for, for, of examples. That's what precedent is. Like, this is not unprecedented. This is not unheard of. We have examples throughout the scripture of God pulling through in times of trial, of God leading people through a trial to glorify himself in the end by seeing how that good came about. But see, here's the other thing. Many times we don't see things work together for good in this life. Right? Not every story has a happy ending. I mean, surely that's not, that's not news to you. Um, what do you do with this verse for the Christian who goes through a trial, a very difficult trial, to whatever degree, whatever that trial is, you fill in the blank... What do you do with Romans 8, 28? And we know that for those that love God, all things work together for good. What do you do when that doesn't happen? What, what do you do when it just doesn't, it just doesn't happen? What, what, you're, what you're hoping for is not granted. Even when you're hoping for something good, I'm assuming you're not hoping for something selfish, something worldly, something ungodly. 
But you're hoping and praying and holding on to the hope that's in this verse to say it's going to work out for good. And there's scriptural precedent where that does happen. But, I mean, let's just be honest. Does that always happen? Does that always happen? That we see the good in this life that God works out and that it doesn't always happen. It doesn't always happen. Keep your finger in Romans 8 and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Popularly and commonly referred to as the Hall of Faith, where the writer of Hebrews lists for us many of the Faithful departed, many of the people who have lived a life of faith and God has glorified himself through their faith. And the faith brought about great action. The faith brought about great things for the glory of God. Take a look at verse 32. We won't read through the whole chapter today. It's a great chapter, a great chapter. You should read through it. Uh, But today we're just going to begin in verse uh, 32. And here's what I want to do. I'm just going to look just in this portion of scripture. I'd like to look through if we can tell Did these people see the good, right? So because they're in this chapter of Scripture, uh, and this is what we're calling the Hall of Faith, we can assume these people loved God. Because God, uh, I mean, the writer of Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Lord, uh, wrote down these people. They were known for their faith. They did love the Lord. So Romans 8.28 would certainly apply to the people in Hebrews 11. True? It would. Right. So because they love God. So we know that for those who love God, that means people in Hebrews 11... All things work together for good. Let's see how that worked out. Let's look at verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. So this is through faith. This is what happened to them or, or what they were able to do. Did they get to see God do these things in their life? Let's see, verse 33. Who through faith conquered kingdoms. Well, if you're saying they conquered kingdoms, I'm going to go with yes. Uh, Enforced justice, yes. Obtained promises, yes. Stopped the mouths of lions, yes. They saw that, and that was awesome, I'm assuming. Quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of Weakness became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. All of these things are, I mean, they're undeniable. They're indisputable. God is working good for those who love him. Hey, sir, have you ever seen God work things together for good to those, for those that love God? Yeah, I love God. I've seen that. Really? Like what? Well, one time I stopped the mouth of a lion. I mean, like, like this, is, this is hard to forget. One time I conquered a kingdom. How about you? You know, I mean, this is, this is stuff that's it's undeniable indisputable, these people saw God work those things together for good. Let's, let's read on. Verse 35. Women received back their dead by resurrection. That's really cool and also undeniable. Happened in their life. Some were tortured. Re- refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better Life doesn't sound like like some triumph, like they were tortured, but then all of a sudden the torturers were struck dead. And no, no, they they died. 
Verse 36, others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Not every story has a happy ending. How did God call all things to work together for them? Right? Like, how's Romans 8.28 working out for the guy who's being sawn in two? Well, we read on in Hebrews 11 that all these, verse 39, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better, right? Something better for us that apart from us they should not be made perfect. And then Hebrews 12, get rid of the chapter break, just Hebrews, keep reading. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus. See, the best is yet to come. Uh, The best is not always promised in this life, but the best is yet to to come. And that's the point of our text today, back in Romans chapter 8. If you go back to Romans 8 and remember where we've been over the past few weeks, don't cut the truth short in the text. And, and here's what I mean by that. Um, usually, uh, every, we just, last week, uh, on October 31st, every year, every year, we have a, a harvest party of sorts at our house. We've had now, oh, 8, 9, 10, 11. Seven. Now, this was our seventh, where Sarah makes just a, a, a vat of chili, and she makes a phenomenal, phenomenal chili. Ph- just phenomenal chili. And then also makes this special apple cider that she cooks and, and puts, puts like sticks in it or something. I don't know, like little cinnamon, cinnamon stuff, all spice, all spice, all that jazz. It, it's just, it's great. We have phenomenal, and then there's a cooler full of all sorts of drinks. We put the bottled water and everything and the ice and, 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 the, and all that stuff is just all in that cooler. Now, and it's always, it's always a good time. Now, let's say, let's just say that you, uh, you were at that event and uh, you left the event and someone said, hey, what did you do yesterday? So oh, we had a great time. We're at the La Rufa's um, and uh, they have this harvest party and, and through the uh, you know, Sarah makes chili and it's great apple cider. But you, what, here's what stands out in my mind. In my mind, actually, in this cooler, they had bottled water. It's amazing. It was, it was, it was cold. It, was, it quenched my thirst. It was, like, wet and stuff. It was, it was great. I loved it. I, had, I bet I had two, three bottles. I mean, it was, it was wonderful, phenomenal bottled water. And it felt like it was just never-ending. It was just, I love this bottled water. That's, that's great. Now... What that person is saying is true. We did have bottled water. I'm glad they enjoyed it. But they missed it, right? Like, like the big deal is this chili and this apple cider with twigs in it. That, that's what they, if, if they got out of that event what I wanted them to get out of it, I want them to talk about the apple cider with sticks and the chili. But instead, they're like, yeah, but the water. And it's like, you're missing it. You're, you've missed the forest for the sake of the trees. You've missed the big picture. Friends, when we look at Romans 8, 28, 
And we say, we know, for those who love God, he works all things together for good. And we say, that's a text that's talking about this life. That may be true, but we're missing, we're missing the forest for the sake of the trees. Now, we've looked at Scripture where there's examples. There's certainly precedent that God does work things together for good to those that love him in this life, right? We looked, we, that worked for Joseph. It worked for Moses. It can work out for you and me that way. Perhaps it has. What I am say, So I'm not saying God doesn't do that. I'm just saying our text today, our text today wouldn't exactly show that that was on the mind of Paul. Think of where we've been the last two weeks. We've been talking about future glory. We've been talking about the hope of heaven. We've been talking about looking heavenward for our hope, looking up there for our peace. Why would Paul all of a sudden say, but now down here, down, oh, okay, uh, things will work out here. They might work out here. They will work out there. Does that make sense? They might work out here, but they will definitely work out there. There are times in life when you just need to trust that God is working it for good. And you may never see what that means. But he's still at work. And the ultimate good is that we'll one day be just like and just next to Jesus Christ. That's why we read these words in 2 Corinthians 4. We do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory Beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The best is yet to come. And won't it be fun? The best is yet to come. And then uh, Paul goes on to further clarify the good God is working for us. So in verse 28, you see that all things work together for good. Verse 29, uh, so we, we know the best is yet to come. Verse 29, the best is in the Son. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. The best is yet to come, and the best is in the Son. This further emphasizes what the, 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 the good is. Surely it can be relief now. It can be answered prayer now in the way that you want the Lord to answer it, or reward now, or relief now, or help now. But don't put all your eggs in that one basket. Because if that basket breaks, God's word is still true. But if you think that what God's word is talking about is certain, sure relief now. And you're being sawn in two. You're going to have, you're going to take a real hit in your faith. And maybe you've seen that in the lives of other people. Maybe you've seen that in your own life when someone is just banking, just banking on God. God's going to work. This is hard, but God's going to work it together for good. And what they mean is now. And sometimes he does, but sometimes you've seen it. I mean, we've all seen it or experienced it that sometimes God has a different, oftentimes God has a different plan than what we hope he has in mind, what we hope he's decreed for our life. And if you're saying God's going to show his faithfulness here and now it's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. I know it's going to happen. I know I'm going to get that job. I know my, my loved one's going to love the Lord. I know, I know it's going to happen. I know he's going to pull through and, and it, he doesn't. The best is yet to come. But if you say, no, 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 the best is now. God works all things together for good now. And you've hit rock bottom or what you define as rock bottom and then God shows you that it can get, it can get a little worse because 
it always can. You'll have a crisis of faith. You'll think that God is not faithful to his word, but he is, he is, he is. Because when you look at his word, you see that what he's promising in our text today is that the best is yet to come. And the good that he's working within us is making us more like Jesus Christ. And ultimately, we will be like Jesus Christ and next to Jesus Christ. Hallelujah to Jesus Christ. That's what our text says. See, this is where our faith is most tested, folks. It's, it's, when, you, it's, it's when you can't see the hope. And maybe you never see the help, but you believe anyway. Paul doesn't go on to describe the good God is working in us as solutions to our earthly problems or help in our times of need. That may happen, but it's not a promise. I cannot prove to you from the text today that that is on Paul's mind. There's evidence of that throughout Scripture, but as you look at Romans 8, heaven, 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 glory, heaven, groaning, but heaven, 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 hope, groaning, waiting, hoping, groaning, waiting, hoping. Not all of a sudden he's like, but seriously, here, it's going to get a lot better. It, it's, it's not in the text. The good God is working within those who love him is to become more like Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 49. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. What a great verse. Philippians 3, uh, verses 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven. Uh, And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. 1 John 3, verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. All throughout the scriptures, there's this constant reminder of, hey, hey, this isn't it. Hey, this isn't home. Don't unpack here. We're just passing through. Your citizenship is in heaven. Live out of the bag here. We're going to be going home. You'll be like Jesus one day. Don't settle in here. The best is yet to come. The best is in the sun. Now, let's stop for a minute and, and think about this. I've sat in sermons before that have pointed me to the hope of heaven, pointed me to glory that is certainly coming for all those who love God, pointed me to looking to things that are eternal as opposed to things that are temporal. They've all been very scriptural. They've all been God-glorifying. And I've yawned. It's Because I've thought... I'm not struggling with whether I'm going to heaven, Pastor. I know I'm going to heaven. I am a Christian. What about now? I want relief now. I need help now. I need hope now. So the best is yet to come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. But that really doesn't help me now unless I get, like, taken home earlier than I think to heaven. And sometimes you can be in trials and you're like, bring it on. Bring it on. But I've sat where you're sitting. I've listened to sermons like this. And maybe you're, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm the ungodliest person in the room. But, but maybe you're, you're thinking the same thing I thought. And that's just like, yeah, heaven. Okay, I'm going. But I've got this issue now. 
I want to know that it's going to work out for good now, or at least before I die, because I will have so much more peace as I go to heaven if I know that it worked out here. Is that you? It's been me. Are are you completely, like, underwhelmed about the hope of heaven and being with our Savior for, for eternity? Let me meddle a little more. Are you let down? You hear a sermon that says things might get better now, and there's certainly precedent for that both in Scripture and in our own lives. We've all experienced the the grace of God at work in our life, the surprising grace of God, the who knew grace of God. Jehovah last minute comes in and wins one for the team. We've experienced that. We've seen that. We've heard of it. And while that's possible... Our text today doesn't outright promise that because of the context we find it in is talking about eternity. Rather, it promises eternity in heaven to whoever believes in Christ because though he die, yet shall he live. And quite frankly, that's really not getting you super excited right now because you're excited about going to heaven when you die, but you're not there yet and you have a trial right now. Or you just want to know that things are going to get better right now. Are you let down? Oh. Oh, heaven. Kind of knew that coming in. Keep your finger in Romans 8 and turn over to 1 John 2. Here is what it means for me. I'm not saying this is what it means for you. I'm just saying when I find myself kind of underwhelmed by some of the verses we're talking about are underwhelmed by the hope of eternity. This is what God uses to set me straight. 1 John 2 and verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Do not love the... And you say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not, I'm not wanting anything ungodly. I'm not... Like, I want to see my kids walk with the Lord, so sue me. I, I, I want to... I want to see uh, ministries take place. I want to be part of something big. I want to, I, I want to serve the Lord. I, I, I'm sure within my heart there could be evil. I'm not above that. But on face value, what I want is a good thing. I know. I'm just not supposed to love the world or the things in the world. And a good sign of the fact that I may more than like the world, like the Bible doesn't say I can't like the world, right? Like I can like it okay. Uh, but love finds it competing with whom I should love first and foremost, right? The Lord, things of eternity, heaven. And when I'm more excited about or more thrilled about or more hopeful for things in this life than I am the life to come, it's probably a good sign that I have within me a, a love for the world that I need to repent of, 
or a love for the things of this world, at least a love for the things of this life. Because I hear about the next life and I'm like, woo, what about now? What about this? What about now? I want things to work together for good now. And they might. But God encourages us from his word today that the best, the best is yet to come. The be- you think you've seen the sun? You ain't seen it shine. The best is yet to come. Is that you today? Do you see within yourself a, you pick the word, a like, a love for the world so much that you read verses like this and they have no effect? No effect. Or perhaps a negative effect because you were hoping for something different or in your own estimation something better. I want to know that all things are going to work together for good now. I'm going to see the good. I want to see it. Well, meditate on these scriptures and pray God would grant you repentance if that's needed. He has an entirely different economy than we do. An entirely different value system. And he can and he will grow us in righteousness. The best is yet to come. The best is in the sun. That's the good that God is describing for us. All things work together for good for those who love God. Verse 29, for those he predestined, he also, uh, for those he For new he also called to be conformed to the image of his son. There's the good. And now look at verse 30. The best is yet to come. The best is in the son. And the best is as good as done. Those whom he predestined he also called. Those whom he called he also justified. And those whom he justified he also glorified. And and with just as much certainty uh, as our predestination... With just as much certainty as our calling and our justification, all of which have already taken place, Paul speaks of our glorification using a past tense verb. Do you see that? Those he predestined, he also called. That makes sense. He predestined me in in eternity past. Okay, and then he called. I, I remember him calling me. I remember how that worked out. Those he called, he also justified. Okay, yeah, I've been justified at the cross. God has taken on God. The Son takes on the punishment. He's a wrath-absorbing sacrifice. That's happened. Predestined? Check. Called? Check. Justified? Check. And those he justified, he also will glorify. That would have made sense. That wouldn't even been wrong. But Paul chooses to use the term, and those he justified, he also glorified. It's as good as done. That hope of heaven that hope of eternal glory is as good as done. We don't have to hope it works out. It might. Ooh, we're kind of rolling the dice on this one. We hope like that in this world, right? It could go either way. But as far as being glorified and being with the Lord, that's where our hope is. And it's as good as done. Put it in the books. It's a win for the Lord. John 17, verse 22. The glory you have given me, I might give. No, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. Romans 9, verse 23, we haven't gotten there yet in our trek through Romans, but verse 23, Paul says, In order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Like, it's done. He prepared these things for his glory. He prepared us for his glory. The best is yet to come. The best is in the sun. And the best is as good as done. I want to call the, uh, our worship teams to the front and um, see how this works out. I also want to call my son, Jonathan. Hey, buddy, will you come up here for a minute? How's it going? Good. Good. 
this is, uh, this is my son, Jonathan. Um, did you wave? You're doing a great job. You know, when we talk about um, the best being yet to come, um, the best being in the Son, becoming more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and then the best is as good as done. Do you know, do you know what that means? That means all the hope, all the hope that we've had and that we read about in the scriptures of heaven, we can take it to the bank because God's going to make good on his word. He's going to do what he says. He's going to keep his promises. He's going to hold us close. You know, sometimes, we'll, uh, sometimes when we're walking and we cross the street uh, or we're walking in the mall, what do we always do with our hands? Hold them. We hold them, right? Yeah, we hold them. And uh, I have four kids, and, and uh, some of them, here, let's walk over here. Some of them are a little more prone to, uh, to let go, go than others, not, not using any names, but some of them are a little more prone to let go as they're walking. Just squirrel, just some, they see something. And, and <laughs> All we like sheep have, have gone astray. You know what I do? Because I love this little guy so much, you know what I do? When he pulls away. See, we're both holding hands. Right? Yeah. Sometimes he lets go, and you know what I do? I hold tighter. I hold tighter. Because I'm not I'm not banking on him to remain in safety. I'm his father, and I want to provide that for him because I love him so much. So I can feel his grip loosen, and my grip tightens. I'm going to hold him close. I'm going to make sure we cross that street safely. I'm going to make sure we get to where we need to go safely because I love him. I love you. You want to go back to Bobby? Friends, we have that, that same hope, and it's for something so much greater than crossing a street. It's for something so much greater than just getting from point A to point B. But God will hold us close and get us to safety. It's as good as done. It's as good as done. For those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What a promise. What a hope. It's not just in this world. It's not for the here and now. But God is going to hold us fast. He's going to hold us close. He's going to finish the job. And we may in this life see hope and help and relief, but we know for certain, beyond the shadow of a doubt, if we love the Lord, it's as good as done. The best is yet to come. The best is in the sun. And the best is as good as done. And even when we wander... Even when we stray, if we love the Lord, we take great hope, not in our hand-holding skills, but in the hand-holding skills of a faithful, faithful, faithful daddy. He, not might, he will hold us close. He will hold us fast.